0: Welcome to Filmstrip and our American Ninja series.
1: Ninja? What the hell are ninja?
0: Featuring Rod. Hey! We don't stop, when one of us goes down. Now! Let's go! And Jay. Who is he? I don't know. He's a new recruit. I don't even know his name. He possessed great skills.
1: These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and details of the films where this gets at, I'll have you shot, you understand?
0: Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I am Ron. This is our review of American Ninja 2, The Confrontation, starring Michael Dudikoff, Steve James, and Jeff Weston. Directed by Sam Furstenberg, released in uh, 1987 on an estimated budget of $350,000, grossed $4 million at the box office. So I asked you last time at the end of the podcast, was there a jumping off point? Was there a place to go? Were there more stories to tell? And how would they do that? And we get American ninjas in another tropical paradise here, Australia. I believe it is South
1: Africa okay, but it's it's South Africa standing in for a an island country
0: <laughs> again
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a different this is like a, I think in the first movie the Philippines was supposed to be Central America mm-hmm. and now South Africa is standing in for the
0: Philippines okay so we you know we we've, we've not only uh gone you know maybe less on the budget according to what's been reported out there but we're even getting cheaper on the uh the location shoots that's that's just that's a great way to advance your action franchise but, but it is, and this is the thing, like, going Globus Films, you know, the reason they got made is because of that insane profit margin. $350,000, you make $4 million bucks. Uh, yeah, sure, let's do another one. That's why there's all those mission-in-action films. But I will say this, like, the difference between the first and the second missing-in-action, which I think is supposed to be like a prequel to the first one, if I remember correctly, it seemed like a much bigger, like, more action-oriented film, that first one's kind of dark and gritty, that second one is just, you know, a total ham fit.
1: Yeah, it... it, it for the Missing in Actions, it does seem like they upped the budget for the second movie, and I'm not so sure about this
0: movie. Yeah, but again, they don't have a bankable star either. But they did one smart thing, and this is something I I will credit these filmmakers for, and I don't know if it was the director's choice, producers or what, but they knew if we're going to bring Dudikoff back, we got to bring James back, and we got to give him more to do because he's the only one that's got any charisma between the two. Oh yeah, he's
1: He's he's clearly he clearly should have been the star of the show. I mean, he's he's some he's kind of like a combination between like Fred the Hammer Williamson yes. and like uh Jim Brown, the guy who did the, the Bruce Lee movies, the 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 karate guy with the big afro.
0: Yes. Well, you and you're not talking about like the Jim Brown from The Running Man too, right?
1: No, that's Jim Brown, the football player. Okay, although Don't. he does kind of look like if you cross Jim Brown, the the kung fu guy, with Jim Brown, the football player, yeah. you would get you would get uh, Steve James.
0: It's kind of like Clarence Williams the third is in there too somewhere. So it's, it's yeah. uh, somewhere along the way, but yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, that I think they they realized they they had their. They're good sidekick, and you know my thought was when I saw him coming back, I was like, "Well, I wonder how quick it you know Jackson dies because you know that's that always happens to the hero, right? He's got to lose a friend, and that's what motivates him to go forward but
1: yeah that's that's exactly what I expected to happen too." if only because they're not going to be brave enough to kill off Michael Dudikoff.
0: No. Yeah, you can't kill the American Ninja, of course. There's only this second film, and uh, we'll get into it as we go. But, Ron, once again, why don't you tell us what American Ninja 2 The Confrontation is about?
1: All right. It's a a really high-concept picture. (laughs) Uh, On a tiny island nation – actually, I think it's an archipelago because there are several (laughs) islands mentioned. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, on a tiny island archipelago – Uh, Whatever. Uh, (laughs) Tensions are high. They're really not clear on the setting. Tensions are high, and the U.S. Marines have been going missing at an alarming rate, seeking help from the mainland, commanding officer Wild Bill Woodward, Jeff Weston, gets help in the form of two Army Rangers, Sergeants Joe Armstrong, the legendary Michael Dudikoff, and Sergeant Curtis Jackson, who apparently didn't merit a promotion from the first movie. (laughs) As it turns out, the kidnappers just so happen to be guys dressed in weird black costumes, a.k.a. ninjas. Turns out there's a mole in the local Marine Corps base who's this guy named Jonathan Pinar? who must be a South African actor. I don't know anything about him. Who tries and tries to turn the American Ninja over to a group of dangerous thugs led by a drug dealer known as the Lion, who has taken... uh, Alicia Sanborn's father hostage he's some sort of scientist to force him to work on the ultimate plot genetically engineered ninjas
0: (laughs) it's like every Marvel movie ten years before
1: (laughs) it's American Ninja and the Marine Corps versus Super Ninjas in a battle for control of Mangrove Island Because that's apparently the name of one of the
0: islands. Okay, this this went from the first Sam Raimi Spider Man mixed with a Mission Action film. Now it's got like Doctor No from James Bond in there too, and a little bit of You Only Live Twice. So and, and a little
1: and a little bit of uh, Moonraker too, with the uh, genetic purity of these uh, ninjas assembled out of random pieces of U.S. Marine DNA. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well let's just get into it. Let's from the start. The opening is this motorcycle race around the, you know, this island road and you know more cheese music and I'm actually into this. I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. I'm like Jackson and Joe have got motorcycles cuz they were driving motorcycles in the last movie. That makes sense, right? But we don't even open with them. It's people we don't know. We don't even get names, I don't think. They go into the bar and then like the the local extras from Crocodile Dundee 2 <laughs> show up, this is why I thought it was Australia show up and kidnap all but the squirrely one
1: yeah the the wormy guy avoids kidnapping but he does it in a a way that you can't tell if he's in on the the plot at first or if he's just hiding because he wet his pants
0: Exactly. He, he looks like he's just standing in the corner waiting for his turn.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I kept waiting for them to, all right, they're going to beat these two guys up, and then they're just going to go kick the crap out of this dude, because he's clearly not going to fight back. But no, as it turns out, he was betraying his fellow members of the Marine Corps to some nefarious plot or another.
0: Right, and as we'll learn out later, that they, they've taken his wife hostage or something, and he's getting you know well able-bodied soldiers so that this uh lion uh burke is his real name can do experiments on them using the professor's professor sanborn's uh drug technology or, or something like that like they they're they're making frankensteins out of people and i realized something really quick as the plot unfolded uh Ron Brian and I spent you know, an entire season reviewing season four of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is all about that the government decides, let's like, you know, shoot tranquilizers into demons and vampires, then put chips in their head and try to control them and make an army out of them, you know, the stupidest idea ever. And we and we called it as such, and as I'm watching this, I'm like, dang you, Joss Whedon, for whatever drunken night it was that made you watch American Ninja 2 and decide to rip that <laughs> off for season four of Puppy, because that's exactly what all these guys feel like, the commandos uh, in charge of uh, human experimentation.
1: It's, it's also a little bit of Return of the Living Dead 3. <laughs> wow. Because they have like these zombie control harnesses yeah. um, at the whatever the name of the corporation is. I can't remember what it's called. I just remember that one girl's... Stabbing herself with needles and getting topless. Yes, <laughs> yeah. For and then Tar Man.
0: Yes, <laughs> <coughs> Leanna Quigley. How can we ever forget her? So, um, but you know, I, the, the thing is, is the opening is definitely. Um, I don't. I don't want to say it's good because <laughs> I don't think it is, but it does lead me to this. Okay, what's going on here? Because Jackson and Armstrong arrive, and the first thing you get is that. That whole inner uh, rivalry between branches of the military, right? right. Know, the Marines show up in the you know, hot car or whatever to pick up the two Army guys, and they're like, oh, the Army. guy." You know, they, they play that, all that silly trope, and now that seems just overplayed and tropey. But in 1987, it, that would have been a common thing in film.
1: Yeah, and I don't know how prevalent it is in real life now with uh, the joint operations forces. <laughs> I think more of your rivalries between your Navy and your Marine Corps, yeah, and and less between your Army and your Marines.
0: <laughs> yeah, like it. They don't seem like they would be like I know like the special forces groups for each branch have rivalry each other, like the Green Berets and the SEALs are rivals and stuff like that. Like that that exists, but the way this is played, it's the Marines are like these super cool i don't they're like ninja surfers or something i don't know they're, well, they're-, they're-
1: they're all wearing Hawaiian shirts, so clearly they're cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, like, like, yeah, that's the thing is that they show up on this base, and Jackson and and uh, Armstrong are of course in full you know green uniform. They're in their dress greens, and these guys are in Hawaiian shirts, and they're talking about like the topless beach and how loose everything is. And then we meet like the the commander, right? That guy is hilarious. I don't know who that dude is. I don't think I've ever seen Jeff Weston or anything else, but Wild Bill. Woodward. Well, I'll tell you what he reminded me of. He reminded me of a couple of GI Joe characters that used to be on the cartoon <laughs> show. He just yes. he was so much like those guys.
1: Which uh, he yeah, well, reminded I me mean, immediately, just physically, his face and like his the the uh, the air for the uh, airborne hat, the cowboy hat he wears later on. He makes me think of well, I'll build the G.I. Joe helicopter pilot. Yes,
0: yes, the chopper pilot, of course, with the mustache and all that stuff. And, like, I'm watching him now, and I'm like, this is like a poor man's Bill Paxton, which is really saying something.
1: Yeah, that's... <laughs> you know? that's it yeah that's that's who that's that's another one yeah Yeah,
0: but he's got he's got all the best lines in the movie which is great he's like if this word gets out about this i'm gonna shoot you i think we put a bunch of them in the intro credits and we we will by the way because i'm saying this guy everything he says is hilarious because it's just so like he he clearly i don't know if this guy ever acted again i didn't bother to look him up or anything but it's almost like they were holding up big poster board cue cards for him to read his lines from you go over there and do the, I mean, I'm like, this guy's in command. Really?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, he's clearly, he has to be in command because he's got the, he's got the cool hat on.
0: Well, yeah, it's the cool hat, the cool stash, you know, the whole bit. But I, I love that. That's how we introduce our, our he character. Throws a,
1: he, he throws a football in his office. Yeah. I to mean, his,
0: to his desk sergeant. Yeah. I, you know, I don't if, know. If, it's,
1: if the room taught us nothing, it's that playing football in in random places is the most cool thing anyone can do.
0: This is true. this is true. I, and the room taught us so many so many valuable lessons so uh, but uh. Oh, I didn't think we were going to be talking about Tommy Wiseau today, sir. But that that, that is uh, we we've, we've now reached a new low.
1: We're so. always we're always a throw football or a spoon away from Tommy Wiseau's <laughs> so territory.
0: This is this is true. And I'm still convinced so I'm going to get you a copy of After Last Season at some point because you uh, must can't. you must consume. I don't know I, can, how. I cannot wait. <laughs> but anyway, back to American Ninja Two. So the the thing we learned here is that Jackson and Armstrong have been are sent to this Marine base because four Marines are captured. No one knows what. And since there's, you know, the, the terrorism's out of the question, they don't know what's going on. And the reason they get sent to them and they play it all for, for you know, mystery is, I don't know, there's some guys in some funny black suits that showed up and took them away. And Jackson and Armstrong are like, black suits, you say? <laughs> huh. You know, like they play it like so. Not Here again.
1: we go again.
0: I know. It's like not again. It's like it. It reminded me a little bit of how. Donald Pleasance played the Loomis character in the later Halloween sequels. Like, he is evil. Like, the evil black ninjas are back. And I was like, it's Black Star Ninja's cousin, right? Like, we're going to tie back to that first movie. I keep trying to tie back to that first movie, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. Nothing except these two dudes ties back to that first movie. They don't, you don't get a callback. Nothing. They didn't even talk about what base they came from.
1: No, nothing. Nothing is mentioned at all except for these two and their previous battles with ninjas, right. which I assume is part of their the reason why they became army rangers.
0: Yeah, like they're the army rangers experts on ninjas, and so they get dispatched for ninja work. I'm like, that's like the FBI, you know, specializes people like that. Like, you know, you have a bank robbery, you'd have you have those guys come in, or you know criminal CIA, Arms,
1: uh, CIA agents yeah or you
0: know. heck even the X-Files you know you got you got specialized folks doing work but uh, these guys are the army ranger ninja specialists so okay sure well you know if I'll just go with that I'll give it that and we go forward and we meet our uh, you know other young uh, we have our I don't know what what Toto is um I, I think he's supposed to be like uh he's He's a, a short he's, round, Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, it, in my notes, I say, hey, it's fake short round.
0: <laughs> fake, fake, there you go, fake short round. Because he I serves mean, about as much purpose, too. It, but he, he's a little
1: Asian-looking kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wears a hat. He's always asking for money. Um,
0: and he can always like get things because he's got connections, right? He's yeah,
1: not, clearly he's... He's an eight-year-old that's in charge of the black market.
0: (laughs) Yes, because that's how it would work. So, which actually, though, I will say this: I've had two brothers-in-law that have served overseas, and they do say, yes, the children actually go out and do the selling because they're they're less intimidating to the soldiers, and the soldiers are less likely to, you know, want to shoot them. So, (laughs) (laughs) so as both of them told me, yeah, I got some pirate-inspired man in here. I think it was made in Italy, so and, and dubbed by Koreans. You know, it was really, it was fun to watch, but you know, it was it was worth five bucks when you got nothing else to do all day. So.
1: Yeah, I, I, had a, I had a friend come back uh, from Iraq with about a dozen DVDs, each of which had like five movies on it.
0: Yeah, and
1: it was stuff that that hadn't even come out in the United States yet, and he'd he got it six months earlier in Baghdad.
0: Yep. So so there's all kinds of, of stuff going on here. But this is we're meeting the group or whatever and they realize, oh, we've been in this situation before. And I love how Squirly Guy Taylor decides we're gonna take everybody water skiing to mangrove island. But he he unhooks the motor so they have to stop, right? And everybody goes, you know, swimming in the, the random ocean, except American Ninja, because you Joe knows something's up, right? And then random ninjas just show up out of the rocks. Well, let's not forget
1: that, first, uh, Taylor drives everyone around until they fall asleep <laughs> somehow. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine he's out there doing circles and uh, circling the island like for eight hours while everyone just slowly passes out from boredom.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, how how far away was it? That was what I was wondering. And how how far could you get in a speedboat like that? I mean, it didn't look like they were making runs from Key West to Miami in that thing, so I don't know how far they were going. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, we had a speedboat like that when I was a kid, and you, you can't get that far in them.
0: Yeah, they're not they're not built for that.
1: So. No, <laughs> this is like a twenty minute trip. This isn't you know you're not going to Cuba.
0: And the only thing I can think about the twenty minute trip is well maybe the Marines of course are lazy, and maybe the Army guys are actually tired because they just got off a international flight from you know fake Philippines to fake. Australia or wherever they're supposed to be to to, um, or fake Central America to the fake Philippines, rather, to, to do this. So maybe they're just tired. But yeah, he drives around and they all fall asleep. He acts like the motor's broken. Nobody bothers to like everybody's looking at the motor. Nobody bothers to check the wire he unhooked at the ignition. Like well, hey, let me let me get up here and try to start it, man. Like I don't know, you can't get two guys together in any room and somebody not put their hands on the keys. I mean, it's just something. Cle- to, yeah, clearly, whether, whether we know what we're doing or not, that's just that's part of guyism.
1: And this and this wasn't like uh, he didn't pull a fuse or, or or something to that effect. He unhooked a wire that was clearly made to be unhooked. Yes, I mean that's like a he un, he like he pulled the dead man switch and killed the engine. Yeah. And, I, and no one thought to check that.
0: Well, my, my thought was he did the same thing that the girl in My Science Project did to get the guy to stop and work on her car. <laughs> he just undertook her distributor cap so they'd <laughs> so take they, like two seconds to fix. And, and, you know, nobody calls him out on it, but whatever. Because it's all set up for the fact that, again, the ninjas come out of the island rocks to take out uh, American Ninja Boy. Because he's gotten uh, the call at that point. Well, no, he hadn't got the call at that point, but... He's just supposed to get these, you know, get, uh, get more specimens to him or whatever. So and of course, Michael Dudikoff in, in his grand fashion discharges with these guys uh, with incredible ease. But I will say this about him. I'm going to make a lot of complaints about him in this film because his acting is still awful. But he actually got a little bit better. Like his, his martial arts stuff is a lot faster this time. So I don't know if it's good camera editing and they set the film up or he actually got good at this.
1: I, I think he got good at it. It doesn't look, everybody else's motions look fairly normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Usually you can kind of tell things look a little too jerky when they speed up film. Mm-hmm. But this looked pretty good. Like I, maybe there was a better fight choreographer this time or, you know, they uh, he, he got some more practice in between <laughs> this movie and the last movie. But uh, he's a lot better. But the fight is also, seems like it's, Because it's faster, it's also a lot sloppier.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, he's throwing, like, rocks at people now, and it's not nearly as cool as the convoy attack.
1: No, and we had to wait an inexcusable 17 minutes for our first ninja fight.
0: This is true. We, We got, what, four minutes last time? And then they elongated it this time. And it wasn't because they were trying to tell a story. I mean, well, they were, but they weren't either. It's Yeah, it's it's too long before we get into this. And I will say this right now about American Ninja too. There is a sheer lack of ninjadom in American Ninja too. There's a lot of American soldiers talking on the beach stuff. There's yeah, not a the, lot of ninja.
1: There's a lot of great shirts. There's a lot of hairspray. Uh, there's a shot of a girl getting a tan. Yeah. with Her bikini top open from the back. Uh, because they probably couldn't afford to pay to get someone to get topless. Um.
0: They were probably they probably didn't want to fool with censors. <laughs> just like let's just get through this somehow. So and they hey, look for all we know they were driving along Miami Beach and just shot that the girl didn't even know it happened. So you know I mean it, it's like the original right? Yeah, I mean that could have been that's about how the shot staged too. It's like it was shot from a camcorder out of the back of a taxi or something. It's not even the same scene.
1: <laughs> it, it was the uh, it was it was from the window of a moving car.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: I did mm-hmm. I did like that they um they had some w- really weird comedy elements throughout the whole movie. Yeah. But they kind of start that off right away with this first fight when the like eight ninjas make a human ladder. And they kind of one jumps on the shoulders of the other and jumps on the shoulders of the other, and then they all kind of like human centipede up the <laughs> side of the, this little random mountain.
0: Yes. As they as they're trying to get away from the the fact that they've been bested by somebody that's clearly more than they, they think he, he's supposed to be. Like that's the whole bit.
1: And, and and once again Steve James just gets to show up and just show up Michael golf with every fight he's in running around in some incredibly
0: short, <laughs> short shorts. Oh, man, that was like, I was like, this is a precursor to Baywatch. How this guy never got on that show, you know, as one of the guys or whatever. I mean, he, he's dressed like one of them.
1: He would have been He would have been good as the uh, kind of older cop guy who rides around on the ATV.
0: Yes, that guy. could have been
1: that guy. He, he, he might have been that guy for all I know. I don't well,
0: know. He actually <laughs> wasn't, because I've seen that guy in other stuff. But you're right, that's the character he could have been. And that's kind of the character he plays here, because once again, he just shows up. At the end of uh, you know the fight, so and what we get and what we learn is that Tommy's told to you know after that to lure Armstrong into a trap uh, over a phone conversation with uh, what we'll ultimately learn is Burke the 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 big bad guy, and so he tells Joe, I can't tell you what's up, man, but meet me at the Blind Beggar Bar, and I'm like, man, that is a great name for a bar if I've ever heard of one. <laughs> that's
1: not suspicious at all. No. <laughs> this weird, silent, wormy guy invites you to the bar. And
0: we'll that's, tell you why. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's totally not a setup for something terrible.
0: No, not at all. But, you know, even even Armstrong knows because he goes in the back door. And, of course, there's all the, you know, the ruffians there. And he takes them all out piece by piece. He just beats them all to, to shreds. But he doesn't kill any of them this time. And that's what I noticed is that the killing is on the, is on the, the down low. He's just knocking people out with, like, you know, one blow. And stuff, and leaving them, you know, for their rest in the in the cellar.
1: Well, he didn't kill a lot of people in the first one at the beginning either. Uh, he 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 seems to fight to. He's he's one of the uh, violent pacifists that you get in these movies, <laughs> where, you know, like Steven Seagal would go on to create this character anew in every movie he did. But he doesn't kill people. He just breaks limbs and fingers and mutilates.
0: Right, he maims them severely as as he beats them. You know, again the extras from Crocodile Dundee in the in the alleyway before he meets up with Taylor again, and Taylor starts to tell him a little bit about a drug dealer who's you know got his wife kidnapped and all this, and then of course he walks toward the open window, which is exactly what you should do when you're being chased by you know lethal assassins.
1: That was <laughs> that was one of the other things I remembered about this movie series. Yeah. I remembered a scene where I see I'd forgotten because the 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 Crocodile Dundee extras follow him up to the room mm-hmm. and he beats them up a second time. Yes. Uh, but I the, the thing that I'd remembered from this movie was a dude walks to a window and then he comes staggering out holding this improbably long throwing spear and then he collapses onto the bed. That's the other thing that made me want to re-watch these movies and and torture you with them. Is, <laughs> is this guy getting apparently I don't know if the window was supposed to be open.
0: It was. That's the thing. It was open, and the the shutter like the the drapes, were blowing in the wind. And then all of a sudden, you hear and he's just like, and he like, you're right. He falls down with what appears to be like an eight foot bar sticking out of his torso, and he lays flat across the bed. And that is the end of Taylor. Yeah,
1: I, I have a hard enough time setting up a ladder without hitting the ceiling yeah man i don't know how he staggered back through this window with an eight foot spear sticking out of his chest
0: i know i mean what a what an awful shot but he's gone and of course you know dudikov jumps out the window uh born identity style and is trying to figure out you know what who he's chasing after whoever did this and whatever and so he comes back and he and he, Curtis... It's, yeah, go ahead. And it's,
1: and it's completely pointlessly, by the way. He yeah. goes out of the window for no good reason.
0: No, I was like, why does he just come down the stairs? Because I, I was expecting another action scene at the end of that, and we don't get one. We cut back to the base.
1: Yeah, there clearly should have been a ninja out there waiting for him. Uh, or, you know, maybe like a chase scene as the ninja runs away having killed Taylor, uh, and Dudikoff can give chase on the back of another motorcycle or something. But, no, that's... They set up for it, and then they're just like, "Uh, eh, we don't have the money to do that. Let's just go back to the base."
0: Yeah, or again, they just like, "Can we borrow this hotel room for like five minutes?" And then, <laughs> and then somebody said, "Hey, we got rooms to rent here. People, get out, get out."
1: And, 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 and let's let's not uh, let's not mislead your listeners that this is some sort of military base. It's yeah. clearly some bu- someone's house that they rented. Yes, and to av- to avoid having to pay for a military base like they used in the Philippines. Yeah. And- uh, they have all these guys just show up wearing their normal clothes to avoid having to rent military uniforms.
0: Yeah, it's except be- for
1: our, except for like five dress uniforms we see later.
0: Right, right, but it's all supposed to be like they're undercover or something, which makes no sense at all because they they all go by rank. They call each other rank all the time. It's and one of them has a has a desk sergeant that is always in uniform. So it's not like they're hiding anything. i don't I don't get it. It's almost like Mikhail's Navy in an action movie. Yeah, that's, kind of, oh, yeah. that's kind yeah it's got the way it plays so but they go back, they tell Woodward that hey, this is you know we, we don't know what happened to this dude. These ninjas showed up, and they you know they, they don't know what's going on. Like, they're trying to explain, and they're like, hey, we need to go to Blackbird, Blackbeard Island. And that is what I was like, wow. We we really, <laughs> like, did we just spin a wheel of nefarious names? Like, Blackbeard. <laughs> you know, I mean, how did they come up with that?
1: Well, it, it has to be more <laughs> ominous sounding than Mangrove Islands. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, why not? I, I think... The name Blackbeard is public domain now, so
0: That's, they not have to pay for it. There you go. That's probably the other reason it was at that point. It was just out there. What can we call the island again? Okay, yes, we'll go with Blackbeard. So, But, yeah, Curtis and Joe tell Wild Bill that Taylor told them a location in which the lion conducts experiments, You know, the, the island. And so they want to investigate, right? And he's all for it, but he's going to get approval because he, he wants to make sure this is all okay with the local government. And I'm like, okay, that's the first time in two movies that somebody in the military actually does something that people in the military would do. You're in a foreign country, you're not in your own, so you can't run around and do what you want. You have to ask permission from the local department if you want to go and investigate somebody's private island. I actually thought that was a nice plot point. I was like, wow, that actually makes sense. I think he did it so...
1: They wouldn't call attention to his uh, Sergeant Bilko scheme that he's running. (laughs) I mean, clearly, this is some kind of scam. Um, Yeah. This is the vacation unit.
0: And
1: (laughs) and clearly, he's like, well, I'm going to do this bureaucratic mumbo-jumbo so they won't tell people that we're just down here wearing our Magnum PI shirts and drinking (laughs) beer.
0: Exactly, yes. But I didn't think about it like that, but you're, you're exactly right. That's probably more of the reason that he's, he's uh, going with it. So, But they get invited to the governor's ball. And I love how uh, Woodward is like, yeah, I want you guys to go, but I want you to go dressed as Marines. And so they're like, well, why? Why can't we go as just you know soldiers like we are? And so he's wanting to keep up the ruse, And I'm like, well, they're not going to notice the two new guys?
1: <laughs> they just yeah, they're and and i think to have this I, I think they just did it so they could have him fight in dress blues later on yeah. it's a, it's a much cooler costume than uh, the army dress greens uh, a little bit more iconic you get to wear those crazy hats you know
0: <laughs> yeah i think i think you're right Maybe that was it. Either
1: either that or they didn't want to have to rent the uh, dress greens a second time. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, we can get a deal if we get five dress blue uniforms. We can get them for like 10 bucks each. So, all right, you guys have to pretend to be Marines now because I said so.
0: Exactly yes because the the plot dictates this so they show up in their fake uniforms to the governor's ball and of course the inspector is there and he tells Armstrong you know I I think you killed this Taylor guy you need to come to the station and answer many questions and they're like yeah sure okay whatever and <laughs> and then that's all interrupted by. Alicia Sanborn, the female of the film, the lone female, I might add, in this entire film, if I counted it correct. (laughs) Her
1: her character is indeed the woman.
0: Yes, the, the woman who shows up and, like, goes ape on the lion guy and his people, like, she's... Uh, Well, I'll tell you. I got this whole Halloween 3 thing. What have you done with my father? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because it it felt very much like that same uh, Silver Shamrock uh, (laughs) attack. (laughs) And the and the bad guy. Look, let's just talk about Gary Conway for a minute. Okay, he made a career out of playing heavies and stuff in in the Hollywood. Like the quintessential '70s Bond villain, right? He's got the haircut for it. He's tall. He wears sunglasses inside, so clearly he's a bad dude. And oh, he, clearly. And he speaks with like a you know non discriminant accent. I don't know. I I thought this guy was hilarious.
1: I I, I liked him quite a bit as well. Um, he he seems to be doing. Trying to at least trying to do something with his material that he's given, Uh, he's he clearly should be phoning it in, yet he's not. Mm -hmm. uh, Kind of like you know, (laughs) Steve James throughout this whole thing. Yes, just going for it like as as much as he can put out there. Mm -hmm. I I imagine they let him keep that uh, suit that he was wearing too. So.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. Because that's the thing. They go. To chase after to see, you know, what, why the local thugs have crashed the ball to take a, take Alicia away, and Jackson and Armstrong follow them to the Blind Beggars Bar, and like all hell breaks loose in the fight. It is the bar fight to end all bar fights.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty spectacular in that there are two completely different bar fights going on at, at one time. Yes, uh, you've got the port. Uh, where Steve James and and the, the Wormy sidekick are down there fighting the guys. And it's it could not be more of a comedy fight unless it was in like a Mel Brooks movie. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he's like, all these people jump on him and he knocks them all over and there's a bowling pin sound effect. And the, the, wor- <laughs> the Wormy guy stops to pour drinks for this girl and hit on her and she smashes a bottle on his head. And yep. you like you can almost hear like the tweety birds <laughs> circling his head and he's like, Well, I guess we're not getting
0: dinner. <laughs> oh, by the way, did you recognize that guy, Larry Porn Dexter? Like of CSI fame? No, I yes, did not. He's the fire inspector from CSI. There's been a lot of other stuff too, but that's what I knew from. I was looking at this guy like, I know this dude. Sure enough, I clicked on his IMDb page. I was like, "Yes, it's the guy. It's the CSI guy." So, yeah, I, he was one of uh, the CSI, you know, uh, magistrates or whatever. He's down the list, but he you know, he's always seems to be playing like a smarmy politician or, you know, something like that. That's kind of his whole role. Oh, the
1: thing I rec- the thing I remember him from. I, I pulled up his IMDb page because he was kind of a that guy to me too. But he was in Blade the series.
0: Yes. Oh, I forgot about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, with wow. um, sticky fingers or whoever it was yeah, playing stick, Blade.
0: Sticky Fingers. Wow, that is uh Blade Blade the series is something I haven't thought about in a long time. So and and. Judging by the ratings, no one else did either. So uh, which <laughs> clearly, is why, which is why if you can get it on one one side of one disc. So if <laughs> just want to watch it, but uh, it's probably on YouTube for all I know. But yeah, I love I love the the two fights are going on on different levels, right? They've got all that still going down, and th- when they come back, like they get out of the bar, and the car has been like. Chicago's South Side ripped off, right? Like, they've taken the hubcaps off of it. it's it it took just, the bumper. It took the bumper. I think it even changed colors. It more like, <laughs> like a different... They, they took the paint. It's like a different stunt car altogether. And they, when they're driving it, and it sounds like it's about to fall apart, I'm like, they didn't have time to damage the transmission. It just looks like crap. But it gets to give the sound effect. It's got that... Uh, after the Griswolds uh, total the family truckster sound, that's what it sounds
1: like. Yeah, I think that's actually the the sound the, the ADR they used for the car. It sounds exactly the
0: same to me. It, it does. They probably had it laying around somewhere and grabbed it. But that's, but yeah, they they go in there and
1: but, but uh, just to jump back to the bar fight real quick. Yeah. Let's let's just be perfectly clear. Um, uh, Curtis is having a ball. Yeah. And Wormy guy is being funny but Michael Dudikoff deadly serious yes you've got a comedy fight a comedy old west bar fight on the first floor and up at the top you've got like dramatic music fight to the death he kicks a guy over a railing and and here's this life or death situation on the second floor and on the first floor it's a it's a laugh riot three stooges comedy
0: I can only think that that played its way out because of the performers involved, because I don't think is available or is capable of anything beyond that blank emotionless thing that he's got going on. Like he just doesn't seem to ever get angry. He doesn't seem to ever laugh. I mean, even when he was making out with the hot curdled daughter the last time, he didn't seem to even really be into any of that. Like he just, he just is kind of there. Whereas James and, uh, this charlie guy are having fun like they're enjoying it
1: right and i mean clearly michael dudikoff is some sort of uh i think later in the series we've only done the first two uh, but i think later on we're going to find out he was some sort of robot Mm -hmm. uh, cyborg uh (laughs) martial arts guy oh wow he was—he was, he was uh, again to mention Sasha Mitchell for the second podcast in a row. He was Sasha Mitchell from Class of '99, Two, the Substitute, where he was this killer cyborg English teacher. Oh, wow. I told you I watched a lot of garbage.
0: <laughs> I'm going to say, you really know the, the depth. That's, that's even getting beyond. I'm, I'm curious to see what's coming up next because I didn't know. But I love the, the getaway here. Like Armstrong tracks Alicia with the help of Toto and they're attacked by ninjas. And, of course, he takes all of them out before being rescued by the truck driving not short round. And I love how Armstrong makes both of them jump out of the thing before he crashes the vehicle into just like in the middle of the most random dirt road, a stack of like barrels that are supposed to be gas barrels. But the problem is they're all plastic. So when it hits, the explosion is about a half second off. So it goes to the plastic barrels, then blows the truck up. So.
1: Oh, some some high class trauma level special effects. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, it was like we got one shot at this voice and they messed it up and they're like, we'll have to fix it in editing because you had one job and you did it wrong.
1: So. <laughs> we can't afford real metal barrels. We got to use these plastic barrels.
0: And beyond that, we had we had just enough for this one shot. We could do this one time and you get blown up. But I love the, the, again, the exploding truck in the barrels scene because, of course, we have to have that. That kills off the ninja, right? And that's when Joe decides I'm going to Blackbeard Island with this you know random girl. You need to go tell Wild Bill what we're doing so he can bring the reinforcements.
1: But it's going to cost him five dollars,
0: right? So I'll pay you later. Yeah, it's five bucks. Okay, later, and we'll see that payoff at the very end. Because I was actually I had to think. For a minute, when he does that bit at the end about the five bucks, I was like, "When did he offer you five bucks?" I was like, "Oh yeah, that's after they blew up the plastic uh, gas cans." So, um, <laughs> but, but that's when we do the slowdown moment of the second act because they they're gonna wait till nighttime to travel. So I expected them to have a replay of the uh, the scene from earlier where he you know tears up her clothes so she can run through the jungle better and they bond. But no, we don't get that. She does heavy exposition because somebody has to explain to us what in the heck's going on
1: well clearly i mean it's it's very it's a very complicated situation what with the curing cancer
0: and yeah, her, yeah. Her, what was her dad doing like he almost cured cancer, but then the lion bought his company and he turned it into like a, a bad uh let's make um incredible hulk ninjas or
1: something. Well, he was being supported by the the U.S. and British governments, right. but then Reaganomics happened, and <laughs> they stopped paying for things like cancer research and insane asylums. And
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> clearly. And then the lion swoops in with this great uh, offer. Hey, just you know, there's not that many steps away from between. There's not that many steps between curing cancer and curing cancer and creating super ninjas. So it's pretty easy to tweak your research into the right direction for super ninja
0: Yes. And my plan, my question was, okay, so you create super ninjas. Then what is the plan? (laughs) Like, what are we going to use the super ninjas for? Are we going to take over a small country? Are we going to uh, bring the world to our knees like Cobra with super ninjas? What is the plan with the super ninjas?
1: I thought the plan was to make $5 billion in heroin.
0: (laughs) Maybe that was... We're going to rip off some heroin. Why don't you just go work with these lackadaisical Marines? Maybe they're as easy to convince as the Army was the last time. (laughs) (laughs) They they seem like they can handle themselves pretty good.
1: Yeah, I don't... (laughs) And and clearly the Super Ninjas aren't that super because everybody just kind of... That murders them indiscriminately.
0: Yeah, it's like it's like they made it's like in genetically altering them, it made them all, uh, you know, very slow and e- and easy to hit or something like that. Like they're they're they don't get out of the way of anything, or maybe they're all under the delusion that they're bulletproof. And, well, well the, the research clearly was lacking there.
1: Well, I just think with the death of Black Star Ninja, there wasn't any adequate. Uh, trainers available,
0: Dad. so you've got
1: these super genetic ninjas that just are incompetent.
0: As, see, and I'm going to blame the f- four or five people that it took to write this film, because there are four (laughs) credited, I imagine it was more like a dozen. For somebody not going, we need a ninja with a red tattoo on the opposite eye, so that we can go you know, it's his, like, brother or something. Like, nobody's gonna care. Like, it's a red star ninja. Like, let's tie it back. You killed my brother. I have revenge. Yeah,
1: that's the simplest plot imaginable, yet here we are. It doesn't happen.
0: No, not at all. It's a total mistake. Because the other thing is, they waste the good, bad guy. Burke and Joe never fight it out. And I, I really wanted to see that. Like, if he's creating super ninjas, he himself should be the, like, ultimate ninja in disguise, right? And oh, I, can un- I can only think it's because Gary Conway in no way could... Pr- or maybe they asked him to, and he's like, I ain't doing that. Now, how much are you paying me? No. <laughs> I'm only here for three days. Yeah. No. <laughs>
1: so you... <laughs> So you put a guy in a mask and and have that be him and then you have a an unmasking scene later and you get the Darth Vader <laughs> redemption story. Right,
0: out. right, and of course Joe and Alicia arrive in time for, you know, just at that moment when the bad guys have to stop and tell everybody, tell each other what their plan is, you know, because they're releasing the Super Ninja program, which looks kind of like a choreography um, for a stage play. I don't know. <laughs> Miss Saigon and the Karate Kid. It, you know what? It it's, did look like the arena that the climax of the Karate Kid 2 happened in, though. Yeah, did. i I, yeah, I expect everybody to get out the little drums and start you know back and forth with this. it was <laughs> the
1: uh the rockets of ninja That's, that was the whole the, the, the whole thing was to have like the you know Dallas Cowboys ninja cheerleaders mm-hmm. and they do their uh, synchronized you know it's like an exhibition like they talked about in the first one uh, to make money
0: right right
1: <laughs> I guess you need seed money to buy. <laughs> $4 billion worth of heroin.
0: I guess so. Got to have something on the. They don't do not do that on credit, I guess. So at <laughs> that point, in the 80s had, had happened and you know, people were cracking down in Miami. So uh, go, go watch Cocaine Cowboys, folks. Billy Corbin. It's a great, great documentary. But anyway, and Reloaded, too. But anyway, so Joe and Alicia are waiting it out back at the base. They're waiting on the go ahead from the ambassador. So Joe's on his own for now, of course, which is probably how it should be at this point. But he and Alicia have snuck into this thing wearing ninja costumes. Because you know they just had excellent land. Did you?
1: Yeah. Well, did you notice that he, you know, uh, the lion does, goes this great, does this great speech about how these are going to be super unstoppable killing machines, and then the head ninja, whose name is the horribly racist Tojo Ken, yes, <laughs> uh, just shows up and just kills twenty of them. Like, are are these your? Su- Super ninjas, or are these just dudes that you have standing in for the super ninjas? And Tojo Ken's the one successful super ninja. I I couldn't figure that part out.
0: I couldn't either because I can't. I when I saw all the bodies get laid out, I'm like, why did he kill his own? Like that didn't unless unless they like hired a bunch of ninjas to say, come in here and take on our super ninjas, and we'll pay you in heroin or whatever. And then they, you know, he slaughtered all of them to show what a super ninja could be. I don't know.
1: But you're not going to get a good ninja if you have to buy him with heroin. Yeah. What, what good's a heroin-addicted ninja? <laughs>
0: He's probably going to be a little frail. so <laughs> I would imagine. It's, it's just
1: train spotting in tokyo is it
0: (laughs) there we go that's yeah all we needed was somebody on you know loking out to try to throw a a star you know (laughs) uh, that would have been that would have been that so but i don't know i love you know the the marines show up and it's a battle back and forth and the ninjas kill a lot of the marines i mean it's yeah that's the thing i was surprised is how many of the marines go down because they all had names and faces at this point so I, i was surprised how many of them got shot
1: and and it was a, a bit more of an intelligently staged um battle this time Yeah, you didn't have anybody riding on tanks
0: yes Uh, it it seemed more like what would happen in an actual battle somewhere between the first and the second one somebody grabbed sam Furstenberg and said look man if we actually were to do something this stupid this is how it would go down (laughs) and and maybe the military advisors in this film were paid better or paid better attention i don't know but they certainly staged the battles better yes i agree
1: And they they, they also recycled the excellent A-team music.
0: uh, Oh, is that what that was from? I was wondering if it felt very A-team.
1: Yeah, I think it's. I'm gonna say it's 18 music. If it's not 18 music, it's the good fake 18 music from the first one.
0: Yeah, it's it's either that or like a, you know non-used Airwolf soundtracks.
1: So, oh yeah, because it
0: was very there's and there's a little Jan Michael Vincent and Michael Dudikoff. So I mean, it certainly <laughs> they. I mean, they could have been long lost you know brethren at some point. In fact, the fact that there's not an American Ninja film with both of them in it is a shame. So it's
1: it's, it's really the tragedy of the downfall of Cannon.
0: It's, it is. That's why they are no longer here. It's not Life Force and the complete blunder that that was, but or or Superman Four. It's that. So, but I love how we get the dual face off. Like the professor gets freed, and then he sends his daughter away because he's gonna go take out the lion, and he rigs up like you know C4 or whatever all over the the magical serum <laughs> that is uh, the root of the whole thing. And they have that whole talkie back and forth about don't throw away the research, don't you see the possibilities? I should have done this years ago. And he's gonna press the butt. You're gonna <laughs> cripples could walk. <laughs> yeah. And so what if people would get killed and we sell some heroin along the way?
1: you know <laughs> clearly it's the, for the greater good i mean yeah, that's I, the, su- i'd assume those tanks were some sort of cloning facility but i guess not
0: i yeah i don't know what that was but it blows up and then they you know hurry to get out of the way so that the explosion looks like it kills both of them because that's what we're led to believe happens <laughs> and they die and then the tojo kin and uh joe face off and i love how every time like uh Dudikov gets a hit on him. Like he starts doing stuff to take the pain. He's biting this rope and all this stuff. And ultimately, what takes him down is two hard slashes to the stomach.
1: Right. And it was. It was. The the funny thing is the beginning of that very fight where they're squaring off with the swords and then they charge at each other. Yeah. That's a fight. There's a fight in Seven Samurai that starts that exact same way. They clash swords the first time, then they do it again, and then the guy dies. But in this one, Tojo Ken just gets cut from hip bone to hip bone, but apparently he doesn't die because super ninjas don't have entrails.
0: <laughs> yeah, he does he doesn't totally disembowel in the first hit, it's the second one that gets him. Right. But then he just falls over dead, Joe takes off the mask, and that's where we are. You know. But unlike the last one, we get a coda this time. Like we don't pull away from the, you know, Blackbeard Island. We go back to Jackson and Armstrong leaving at the end of a party.
1: Uh, well, I mean, we had to get another shot of that house. Yes, and, and <laughs> we had to get uh, the payoff with short round.
0: Right, we give him the the Swiss Army knife, and that's his five buck payment.
1: So. <laughs> Which I mean, I guess he's supposed to eat that Swiss Army knife.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he's like, "Hey man, this is awesome, but I really need some food." So, yeah.
1: I, I, cl- I clearly need more stuff to <laughs> pin on my hat.
0: Yes, I needed another piece of flair so to, to, to out to round out my outfit. Uh, and I love, you know, the, even the, the Marine uh, commander there's like, you guys should just transfer over. Well, if you want to, let me know. And I'm like, why didn't they at that point? I would I would have. I'm like, yeah, I can stay here with you? Sure. I mean, I've killed all the ninjas on this island. <laughs> What's left to do but this cushy gig like this? <laughs>
1: so. Yeah, and they didn't even have, like, guys in, in pith helmets this time. It was just <laughs> yeah. jumpsuits.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't, I don't know, that was a pretty good Pretty sweet gig those guys had going on there. But that's where where they leave us and our American ninjas run off in, into the, the sunset. And I, I'll say this. I want to ask you this. Why didn't they call this American ninjas since it's both of them? And I know Steve James doesn't get to do a, a lot of ninja-ing, but he does quite a bit of it in this movie.
1: He, he does a lot more than he did the first movie, for sure. Yeah. And I... Uh, to me, I think the, their, the failure to make him a more important character kind of is one of the, is one of the downfalls in this movie because he's clearly like showing up and he's trying and he, he spends the whole bar fight cracking jokes and he's, he's charismatic and he's pretty funny and he's clearly still the better martial artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they didn't want to pay him like a lead. I think they could probably afford Michael Dudikoff, because I mean, what else did he have going on? But uh, <laughs> I think maybe they didn't want to give him a name above the title. Yeah. Uh, that's the, either that or racism. But
0: well, yeah, well, there's always that too. So <laughs> who who knows? But we do know this: Dudikoff doesn't come back for the next one. Steve James does. So we'll we'll talk about that next time. But first. Final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. What are yours for American Ninja Two: The Confrontation?
1: That's it's 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 not as as funny to me as American Ninja One. It's a little bit slower, but I like the fact that they inserted some deliberate comedy in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I still like Steve James a lot. I liked the um, the Colonel uh, or. Uh, What's his name? Wild Bill. Yeah, uh, was clearly a, a huge improvement over um, the last guy. Uh, the 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 actress, the the girl role, not so much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I even didn't like horribly hate Short Round. I mean, he was unnecessary, but he he was at least out of the way. I, I think I'd still give it a medium popcorn. Uh, it's still not going to be a good movie uh, in the sense of a traditionally good movie. But I think it's like a good companion piece for your, your bad 80s movie night. I think it's a, you may as well go for American Ninja and American Ninja 2.
0: Well, I'll say this about American Ninja 2. <clears throat> there are things about it that I like tremendously. I think the Marines are much better... Uh, you know, comic foils and sidekicks than the Army base was last time. Uh, I do think they use Steve James more, which is a good thing. I liked that. But the problem for me is that I feel like the bad guy here is is good, but he's wasted. Like, I don't get enough time with the lion. I don't get enough time with Burke and what he's doing. And the girl, the, the lone female is a horrible down turn from Judy Aronson. And I'm going to tell you right now, nothing against you, Judy, but if they downgrade over you sister, they, they have lost it. Like I mean, they got the, you know, one of the many chicks who get killed in a Friday, the 13th movie is a better action than the lead of this film. Who's supposed to be like, I I don't know. again, she's, you know, fighting for her father's cause or whatever. But in the end, she just winds up sitting over by a pillar and watching people get killed. Um,
1: and I, and, and I don't understand that because clearly at one point she had a shotgun
0: yeah I was like start laying some some shells down range darling <laughs> you know it's just spray do something
1: I did like when um, Tojo Ken pulled a shotgun out of hammer space during that fight
0: yes as if we needed
1: more <laughs> reinforcement that only Michael Dudikoff is a true ninja and all the bad guy ninjas are willing to take any shortcut necessary. Including materializing a shotgun out of nowhere.
0: It's, well, you know we got to have our magic moment. The thing also I was missing was I needed more reveal about Armstrong. Where was more flashbacks with the old water gardener? Something to tell me how he had progressed. Because Dutikoff in this is almost a non-entity. Like he is he's. I don't know. I just, I really thought last time was a bad performance that worked in a kind of a cheesy movie. This time it's a bad performance in a movie. That's only half good. And that's, uh, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. So there's funny stuff here for sure, but I don't know that it's enough to give it a medium popcorn for me. I'm going to have to go small popcorn on this. Definitely part of the bad eighties movie night for sure. But, and not the worst sequel I've ever seen by far, but a step down from that first one for me. I, I just, I, I, I wasn't as into it as I was that first one and I'm left wondering where they go because I know the next one is called blood hunt and I have no idea what that means. I'm like, is it going to be ninjas and vampires? <laughs> cause, cause that would be kind of, you know, cool. <laughs> Who even knows
1: where they're going at this point? That's...
0: <laughs> well, the or... the, que- the question is, you know, I asked the you know, last time, was there anywhere else to go? And I think the answer to that is if you just want to take these guys and drop them into random missions, kind of like the A-Team or Airwolf or MacGyver, then that will work but I think you got to give them something better to do than tracing, you know, the drug dealer or the mad scientist. Like there needs to be like a real palatable enemy here. We're getting near the late 80s. You're about to not be able to get away with this stuff anymore. You're about to have to have real stuff happen because may I remind everybody, in 1987, Lethal Weapon came out, and that is a genius bad guy, you know, cop movie. And it's just as cheesy with the 80s action and the overacting and all that and the martial arts and all that stuff. But the difference is the bad guy plot in that is much more compelling than, you know, stuff like this.
1: Right. And you've got s- somebody with a sense of humor, uh, writing it. Mm-hmm. You've got some, you've got performer, you've got a lead character with a sense of humor in both Briggs and Murtaugh. Yes. You, you don't have, there's no, it's not like Danny Glover is a soulless vacuum of charisma.
0: <laughs> yes, this is true. So it's, and granted, Luther Weapon also had about 30 times the budget. So that, that also helps. But again, that, that is an example of the kind of action film that the American audience is going to start seeing. And that's why this kind of stuff is not going to fly. So I'm hoping for a better turn in part three, but I don't, I don't know what is coming. I'm, I'm really curious. I, I, I think I had actually seen part of this one before, and I knew I'd seen part of the first one, just in you know re- late-night cable stuff. I have not seen the third or the fourth one, so I'm real curious where we go. And I'm just going to go tell you now, Ron, when, when we've gone direct-to-video on this show, it is usually not going well. Like, there's maybe only one film I've ever been able to give a real pass to, and it's just because it was a real guilty pleasure. It was one of the Leprechaun Hood films. And so, that I was able to give kind of a swing to, because it worked. But when we go direct-to-video... I remember what Hellraiser did and the the clip it dropped off of and and continued to plummet down to its end. And it's happened in a lot of other series too. So I'm curious to see if this could be any better just for what it is. I'm
1: I'm not sure how
0: much actual time
1: it's spent in the box offices in America. So I think we're not too far off from direct-to-video now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My only hope is that they have – more primary color ninjas back for the third one because <laughs> yes. clearly there are some like red and, and orange and yellow ninja costumes that are moldering in a warehouse somewhere that they need to get out of storage and bring it back to the maybe bring it back to the philippines
0: there we go maybe maybe we go back to our roots we stationed jackson back there and he's the commander now i don't know but i'm i'm curious to see where we go with that one as well folks Thanks for listening to this latest edition of Film Strip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. Just click on the link for movies. You'll find all the old Film Strip series there, as well as links to our Facebook and Twitter page and our iTunes feed, so you can leave us a review there if you like the show. And also, you can find links to our other podcast ventures The Art of Slang, our Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective, and the Fabish Factor general film discussion podcast. You can find all there at continuousplaypodcast.com Ron folks can follow your writing at denofgeek and popfy.com, correct correct all right and so folks check those out let us know what you think and as always we appreciate your support so until next time Ron I'm Jay thanks for listening to Filmstrip thank you for joining us I'm the I found you all content used or discussed in this podcast is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. I
1: therefore ask you to accompany me to the peace station to answer several serious questions.